This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com. Coming to you from our dripping downtown studios here on a rainy Friday in Concord, New Hampshire. I'm joined by Chris Ryan, and we are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Well, Chris Ryan, it's been an interesting week in politics and the media. Let's talk about two different ladies and things they said. First of all, there was Roseanne, not Rosanna Dana Dana, not our favorite Rosanna Dana Dana from Saturday Night Live, but Roseanne Barr making her comeback on television, a very popular show for ABC, and she let fly with the tweet. Now, the tweet has been a destructive mechanism for many these days. Donald Trump has been governing by tweet with seeming little consequence, though everybody talks about it. But Roseanne was warned time and time again by her family, by her friends, by ABC, by anybody who ever watched the show. Roseanne, for God's sake, don't tell us how you really feel. Roseanne, <laughs> please stop sharing. Roseanne, we just don't care. It's only going to get you in trouble. And in fact, Roseanne let fly with some of those racist aphorisms that that only the white supremacists can really own as well as they do and I guess I put Roseanne in that in that class calling Valerie Jarrett a really skilled experienced businesswoman who was an uh, Obama administration uh, official and advisor calling her an ape now that's a pretty terrible thing. It's just simply a disgusting, obscene, racist slur. And ABC wasted no time in letting the hammer fall. Gong! You're gone, Roseanne. Goodbye. We don't care about the money. We don't care about the sponsors. We don't care about our viewers. You are gone. Now, what's really interesting is it they didn't seemed to vacillate. They didn't take very long. They didn't wait. They didn't, you know, they, she apologized. They didn't care. She, they just let her have it right there. Boom. Roseanne is gone. And Donald Trump was unhappy about it. And then in the same week, on the opposite side of the political spectrum, one of my favorites, Samantha B, whose show, let's face it, is called Full Frontal. Let fly with a full frontal that has gotten her in trouble. Now that's all anybody's really talking about. She called Ivanka Trump a bad name. It's interesting. Like you, um, you mentioned what she said, uh, what 
Roseanne tweeted about Valerie uh, Jarrett. Well, because ape is a three-letter word that's not that's not considered a scatological reference right. that you the would, FCC you... would throw me off the air for. But when it comes to Samantha B calling Ivanka make, Trump uh, yeah. the as they say, the C word is, you know, I mean, I, I just don't go there because I'm mindful it's of ju- the WKXL no, license. No, no, but that's the point. I mean, the point is that um, words and all of this, it, it's so crazy. It is crazy. Because one is a, one, is, what, what, what Roseanne did was a fire, a fireable offense. You, you cannot refer to a human being, um, I think, period, but in general, uh, or specifically, a human being of African American descent as she did. And, um, then you have somebody who said something that you can't say on radio without us getting a fine of a yeah, significant nature you know and that's but that's 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 so, so that's yeah, not but, okay but it's it's well here's the thing it's not fireable here's the thing on the one hand you have a comedian samantha b who's got a show that is built on outrage and her monologues are pretty outrageous and she goes to the edge and a lot of people would say over the edge and calling a woman having a woman calling a woman um, uh, and using that kind of language, uh, who's a comedian, she's doing it publicly, she then apologized, um, is not is very different than than revealing the deep underbelly of the racism that motivates you. Samantha B is is paid to do what she did in that instance. That is a understandable um, thing for She's not even on a network. She's like on Right. She's like on she's on HBO, right? Right. That is she yeah. is it is HBO uh, there's all I think kinds it's TBS. of TBS. What's that? I think she's on TBS. TBS She's on one of them. There's all kinds of bad language that you hear these days on on cable right. television, and certainly that word is is a is a really it's an impolite thing to so say. That, but she, anywhere, in other words, she is doing what she is supposed to to be doing. And, and she's doing what she's paid to be. And, Roseanne Roseanne is paid to be an actress on a show, right. and she is paid to be a part of that show, read her lines, do what she's supposed to do, and her tweet is counter to you know, what they want to represent on that show. Uh, and so therefore she is doing, yeah, Roseanne is doing her bosses yeah. wrong in this instance where Samantha B, uh, regardless yeah. of, I don't, yeah. obviously she apologized, yeah, she, she was wrong. Right. And, it was, and the network right. said, you know, we shouldn't have aired it. It was a mistake and you shouldn't use that kind of language. And that language is over the edge for a comedian and comedians go over the edge. I mean, think about Lenny Bruce. He was over the edge all the time when different words meant different things back then. And words have power and words have meaning. The, the, one of the really sad things about the Samantha B situation is that she really undercut her message because now all anybody is talking about are the words she used uh, to describe Ivanka, who uh, in the same week that the federal government um, let 1,500 migrant kids go missing, uh, couldn't find them, and there were pictures of kids in cages, um, Ivanka Trump was seen cuddling up to her two-year-old saying sweet nothings and 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 in calling her feckless and the bad word uh, Samantha B's message was hey Ivanka we thought that you were going to be some kind of reasonable moderating influence on the carrot top cantaloupe in the White House um, I can say carrot top cantaloupe those are not four-letter words the FCC will allow me to do that it may be insulting and impolite but I'm pay- that's what I'm paid for folks that's why I'm here that's why Chris Ryan wants me here so I can call Donald Trump a well, carrot top cantaloupe. Yeah. 
a little bit of a stretch. And yeah, I would be very I would be worried once the the Gestapo gets uh Well, put listen, place when the brown well. shirts come, when Donald Trump's or he's going to send his orange shirts out. He's all of Donald Trump's all of Donald Trump's fascisti will be in orange shirts, but they'll come we'll after Make me. America great again. You hats. called you called our fearless leader a carrot top cantaloupe. We are coming for you. Okay, here I am. Take me away and put me away. But her message was that, listen, you feckless person, Ivanka Trump, you were supposed to bring some sort of sanity. You're married to an Orthodox Jew. You got two nice kids. You're supposed to be like like a little more moderate than this crazy guy who's your father. And what's she been doing? Nada. Nothing. She travels around the world. She makes a nice show. So Samantha B's point is well taken. She used the wrong word. But in all of that, well, seriously though, who uh, who thought that she was going to do anything in regards to Donald Trump? I mean, who have, the, have she's you, his have daughter you, for crying yeah, out loud? He's the golden goose. You're I not mean, gonna. You're he, not gonna. You don't want to upset he, the golden goose. Of course not. I mean, and we look at his his appearances on Stern through the years, and how she just kind of sat there and let him say whatever he wants, and. You know, the car- occasionally when he tried to you know, kiss her in public, she would you know move backwards. But other than that, there's been no evidence. Oh, those pictures there's, of him with there's been no her evidence to indicate God. that she's going to be any sort of influence on him. What's going on there? We don't even want to go there. I mean, those pictures are all creepy. Okay, there's there's something there was anyway. Moving, moving right along. All I can say is Donald Trump is the golden goose. I just finished an interesting book called Circe about the goddess Circe. And there's a lot in it about Minos, the king at Knossos of Crete. And everything was gold. And it just reminded me of Donald Trump. I mean, he was a, he was a savage and things were not really good then. And his wife, a demigoddess, Pasiphae, a nymph, gave birth to the Minotaur after she slept uh, with the wrong person. So, I mean, that whole scene back there with the Greeks was pretty crazy. But there's a lot. Where are we going with this? There's a lot that reminds me of Donald Trump and this kind of crazy mythology of Donald Trump as the golden goose. But meanwhile, let's give let's give some credit to Barack Obama, because even at this point in our economy, the unemployment is down. Uh, wages have gone up. Donald Trump is taking all the credit for it. And whoever the credit belongs to, that is some good news I think for they the should, American they should, economy. To be fair, they should share the credit at this point in time. I think okay. perhaps it has more to do with Barack Obama, but I think that Donald Trump being president has had uh, a lot to do with individuals feeling more confident about the economy and so yeah. forth, which is... So I don't think there have been any policies, per se, that have really changed anything. It's been mostly Obama's policies. But Donald Trump being president, his persona, his machismo, or so forth, has machismo. been... Machismo. Hello. Been, has been My name is but, Donald Trump, but, but I am tariffs, a machismo. The tariffs, this... This, the, the trade war? Yeah, this the is fa- not a good fa- idea. The fa- it's trade he, war Friday. The trade war Friday. It's trade war. Hello, folks. It's trade war Friday. Today, you can't buy any more German cars. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> BMWs, we're going to roll them down the street and put them in the crusher. Uh, Audis, uh, foreign cars, no, no, no. No more foreign cars. We're just going to crush them all, and we're going to use the metal to make, I don't know what, more Fords. But on the other hand, you can't use aluminum either because aluminum's gotten too expensive. By the way, Canada, Mexico, trading partners, you guys are really out to lunch. Forget about you guys. We're putting such big tariffs on you. Nobody's going to want to cross the border anymore. 
Trade war, bring it on. My name is Donald Trump, and I like trade wars because trade wars work for me. We're going to buy American, build American, and that's what the trade war is about. So what's wrong with the trade war, Chris? I mean, really, it's, you know, it, it's, not, it's not the worst thing that ever happened. So we've got a trade war. At least you're not shooting people. You just can't buy anything. So to this date, um, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about, and you kind of painted this picture of Trump's policies being, you know, draconian and so forth. And um, and I pushed back on that and said, to this date, Donald Trump has said a lot of crazy things. He has, um, you know, picked fights with people, and there's been this this persona of chaos because of the the West Wing. Now, for the first time, there was an actual imagine, real policy. Speaking of the West Wing, can you just imagine what the television show The West Wing would be with Donald Trump as the putative star of, <laughs> of The West Wing? I, I don't mean, even want to know. I don't I even. I mean, can you imagine Sarah Huckabee hey, Sanders? Hey, there's Lou Sanders right there. Sarah Huckabee Sanders crawling on all four knees into Trump. What do I say today? Tell him anything you want. I mean, the soap opera would just be incredible. We wouldn't learn all that much about politics. Though. Anyway, now anyway. there is a now there is a real policy. There is now who knows if this will change or if it'll actually come to fruition. But um, you know, we are the largest importer of steel in the entire world. We do not have the infrastructure in place to build steel. And instead of you know having a plan, which may or may not have actually done any good, um, because I don't think that people are going to be like, oh, let's, uh, let's start building, a, let's start making steel, because Donald Trump has decided today on Friday that there's going to be, uh, or in six months or a year, that we're going to start imposing these tariffs. I don't think that um, you know individuals would be prudent to base their, uh, you know, building a steel mill is not exactly like putting up a lemonade stand. Yeah, I mean, look, he's put more tariffs on the U.S. allies, the EU, Canada, and Mexico, than he has on China. I mean, it, it seems a little shall we say, backwards to me. It seems a little counterintuitive. It seems like not what everybody was, he was talking about. He, he was going after China. I, I don't get it. What's, what could possibly be the rationale? Because you know that our allies, the EU, Canada, and Mexico, they're going to do something back where the trade war is on. And it's crazy. Why pick a fight with your allies? Why? Why? Explain it to me. You are the voice of independence and reason. Well, Why? He, I mean, he has been complaining about NAFTA for a, a long period of time. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find reason and rationale for okay. this. Okay, I'm going to give you a lot of slack here. I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense because, again, you are... If you want to make deals better, and I think that we all can agree that um, you know the trade deals that exist are not favorable to the United States, so you negotiate those. You create an environment where there's give and there's take. Instead, there's this is what we're going to do. You're going to react to it, and I don't care what the consequence is going to be. The consequences are going to be um, prices are going to increase, and the American citizen is going to pay a significant amount for this. Um, you know that is the short term. I mean, maybe you hope you drive individuals to the to the negotiating table, but to me, hope is not a policy. Hope, hope is hope. I mean, it is. Let's hope something yeah, happens. I, I, it I is not a a concrete plan. It I, is not a solution. I just I just don't get it. I mean, here is it's crazy poli- policy 
uh, with no reason. But that's exactly what you can expect from the Carrot Top Cantaloupe. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the Internet. I'm joined by Chris Ryan for this fabulous segment of insults. And we are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be back. We're going to be talking to Mark McKenzie, who's running for Congress in the 1st District. Stay tuned after this. Welcome back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased to be joined by Mark McKenzie. I've known Mark a long time, and uh, he's running for the United States Congress, a candidate in the first congressional district in a crowded field. Mark, welcome to Off the Record. It's great to be here. Good well, to see you, Paul. Everything's on the record here. That's why we're okay. called that's why we're <laughs> called Off the Record. So, you and I, you and I know each other. I mean, I met you when I started out in politics. I was green, green, green. I didn't know anything except that you were very important because you ran the AFL-CIO and I'm a union member. I'm a proud member of the uh, AFM Local 374 here in Concord. That's right. I maintain my membership because um, uh, I, I believe in unions. I believe in working people, and I think they're the backbone of this country. And uh, you taught me a lot. Thank you. You taught me a lot. I mean, I, I, um, I cut my teeth uh, uh, talking to unions. They were generous. They were gracious. They were hospitable to me. The, the members of the AFL-CIO and all its affiliate unions in, in, the, in the state um, supported me, um, worked hard for me. Um, it, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a great relationship, and you were really critical to that. And it was clear to me that you cared a lot about uh, the issues, about uh, what it took to, uh, not as Donald Trump would say, make America great, but uh, keep America growing and, and bring back a middle class and uh, support good-paying jobs, real jobs for real people who needed to work. But here we are, 10 years on, and you decided to get into politics yourself. That's right. What possessed you? Well, you know, I started, I, I ran for state rep, and that's what I, uh, currently a state rep from Manchester. And then all of a sudden, uh, this development, Carol Shea Porter decides she's not going to run again. And, you know, she was great, as you were, by the way, uh, in Congress. Uh, happy to support both of you. And so here's this opportunity. And I, I come at this from a very different uh, place than I think the other candidates in this race. You know, I've done this work for a lot of years. 
Uh, I have been in the fray on the field, uh, moving a progressive agenda, moving labor's agenda, and fighting for working families uh, at every level of, of government, from local to state to federal government. And so, I, you know, I, I think I'm prepared to do this. And the message of this campaign is really about, is about making sure that people, when they ask the question, what do we want, that there's a leader, that there's somebody that can answer that question. And I, I have been a leader all my life. Uh, people recognize that in me longer, earlier than I recognize it in myself. But I'm prepared to do this. I've got a great background for this. I've been on the ground fighting, and I want to continue the fight in Washington. And I think I'm the best person to do that. So the the field over there in the first CD is pretty crowded. I mean, I won't go down the whole the the list of names of, of people there. There are people who are raising a lot of money. There are people with a lot of name recognition in a crowded field like that. Um, and I I get I get what's behind you running, and I and I know how sincere you are, and clearly your record is one of accomplishment and service. Um, and nobody could ask for anything else in a in a congressman uh, um, accomplishment, personal accomplishment, uh, but but service. I mean, um, that's that really has been a hallmark of your career. What do you do in a crowded field um, of a lot of a lot of people looking for the Democratic uh, primary nod with um, a midterm election where there's going to be a low turnout? I mean, I'm I, I'm getting a little bit into the process of it all. But no. but what do you do? I mean, how do you how do you how do you separate yourself from the pack? Um, let you know. I'm assuming that you're not going to be the biggest money raiser out there. It would be nice. You know, it would. <laughs> it, it's oh, it's nice, but it's not. Uh, no, always, that's not. That's not, not what always, this not always necessary. About, yeah. But and so what do you what do you what's going on out there in the field when when the nine or ten or eleven of you get together for forums and and what are you hearing? What are you feeling? What are people saying? Well, first of all, everybody in this field is uh, is terrific, and I enjoy meeting with them and being with them. Uh, but it's getting uh, clear to me that uh, the kinds of things that I've been engaged with for all of these years give me an edge in this uh, in this election. You know, I was meeting with the bills, some of the building trades this morning, and there are issues that that I know that go back many years and know the nuances of all these kinds of stuff. So I think. I, I think that there is, uh, you know, I come to the sense of commitment, but things like health care, you know, I've been fighting for health care for, uh, for a number of years since the first contract that I ever had. So health care and equal, equal pay and, uh, and good treatment of work, all of those kinds of things, my feet are deep. They're rooted in that, in that movement. They're rooted in helping, uh, uh, helping people. So what I'm, what I'm offering to, the, to this uh, district is somebody who has been tested under fire, who understands the issues, who is used to doing constituent services, who has worked with and helped a number of people within the Democratic Party, uh, proudly had, uh, when you were running. And so I'm very different than a lot of these people because they don't come with that kind of experience that I have. And so that's what I'm selling. And I think right now in Washington, D.C., you need somebody who can hit the ground running, that, can, that has a history of being able to stand up, confront power, and, and do the job that needs to be done right now, and I can do that. I can hit the ground running, and my whole history has been about confronting power. So let me go back. Where are you from? 
I actually grew up uh, in Everett, Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the, uh, uh, my dad died when I was very young, so I grew up in a single, uh, my mother was a you know, single parent household. Did she uh, work? Uh, she didn't for a number of years. She did as we got a little bit older, she worked. Uh, and I learned a lot about what family is and how each other, we take do, care of each other. you have brothers and down. sisters? I have a brother, an older brother, and a younger sister. Uh-huh. Uh, and y- so, uh, you know, I grew up, I got on the fire department when I was uh, 20, 21 years old, moved mm-hmm. up here, tried to get on in Massachusetts. I wasn't able to. And I got so on. So you, you came into New Hampshire and got on the fire department. That's right, in Manchester. Manchester is the largest department. That's the one I wanted to get on. Yeah. And I had other opportunities after you know after I was on Manchester to go back, but I decided to stay here. I invested myself in the community. I dug into the work, not only as a firefighter, and I had some success. I retired as a senior captain in Manchester, but I also dug into the work of representing working families. I led a strike in 1978, which took firefighters out for almost two weeks. And we did that because we wanted to break the 48-hour work week. And we were able to do that. We almost went to jail as a result of it, but we were able to do it. So that's how I started. That's how I cut my teeth. And people began to ask me to do more stuff and more stuff. And then, you know, 25 years with the AFL-CIO, the longest-serving president in the United States. Uh, You know, so there I... (laughs) I was. So I've been in this, uh, deep in this for a long period of time. And, uh, and I think that's what, that's what I offer people. So I, here's a, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've had some experience, you know, in all, in all of this. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about Democratic primary voters. And they tend to be... Um, at least in my experience, there tend to be fewer of them in the off in the off years. It's really hard, for example, to motivate kids to come out in the off year elections. We don't have a president or presidential race at the top of the mm-hmm. ticket, so you're going to have uh, low turnout. Uh, the kids are going tough to come out. The Democratic primary voters tend to be, you know, sort of long term um, committed. Democrats who many of whom are going to follow follow the races and 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 know about know about know about the candidates um, and they tend to be uh, for lack of a better term more toward the left side of the spectrum um, than in the general than than you can expect in a general election so your appeal right now is to a, a kind of left leaning spectrum of voters in order to get to 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 win the primary right is that a challenge to speak to kind of the left wing now and then uh if you're the candidate um to uh to to change your message or do you see it as the same well i mean i i'm not going to change my message i mean i think that uh what people are looking for right now is somebody who's going to stand up and fight for them and it's going to fight for health care going to fight for good jobs going to fight for a better environment uh, that's who I am. That's uh, so. I'm not changing my stripes for anybody. But I also bring together. Uh, you know, I was the president of the AFL-CIO. I have a number of unions that are supporting me. There are thousands of people within those unions um, that are ready to go, and they're ready to go because they want somebody that's going to stand up and fight for them, and they want to. They want to have a Democratic Party that is somebody who's representing and fighting for working families. And unfortunately, I think the Democratic Party has drifted away from that, unfortunately. I think money is a big deal in politics today. Uh, everybody's, everybody's into it. 
and so I think that that I have uh, a group of people who are going to be very motivated and also understand this that I was a, I was the first person to sign on for the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, I, I backed Bernie. I've known Bernie for 15 years, worked with him on different issues over the years. So there's that constituency also that I think... And we were very you know. glad to have you working with us, Mark. <laughs> we were it. very glad. <laughs> all the people, all the Bernie people, the Bernie Easters, the Sandinistas, we're very happy because we know you and we like you very, very much. You can do some commercials with me, maybe. <laughs> we could do. We could do. Uh, we could do. We could do radio. You know. You, know. you have New York roots too. Like, so uh, well, I, well I, the Brook. You know, the Brooklyn in me <laughs> comes out now and again when I talk. People can say, "Where are you from?" And they can tell. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, as they can tell from me. But, uh, but yeah. So I, uh, you know, I think this is a, a unique opportunity for. Uh, for uh, Democrats who want to back somebody, for union people want to back somebody, for progressive people want to back somebody, that is from a, from them, from there, is planted in their organizations and been part of this movement for a long period. So of time. here's a here's a question: We just had uh, uh, wage and unemployment numbers come out, and unemployment is now below four percent nationally, mm-hmm. the lowest it's been since two thousand, and. Uh, significantly, there's been an, there was just a reported uptick in wages, 2.7 percent uptick in wages, which is not huge, but it it it's something. And uh, you know, if if the if uh, somebody smart once said it's the economy, stupid, and we got an economy that seems to be working despite all the insanity uh, of the West Wing and what Donald Trump and all the all the stuff that nobody likes that Donald Trump represents. How do you make a pitch to voters in the first CD, which tends to be a little uh, more centrist, a little more to the right, even than the second CD, which I represented? How do you make a pitch to them that working people matter when Donald Trump gives great big tax cuts to fat cats and corporations? Everybody seems to be happy and the numbers are good. How do you make a pitch? change and uh, and and why 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 do you think people are going to listen to that because they don't like Donald Trump that's not enough well you know you have to break some of those arguments down first off you know the the idea that there is what you you said three percent unemployment uh, 3.8 3.8 percent means that means that there is a, a tremendous need in this economy everybody that wants to work is currently working one of the things that we can begin the process of doing is looking at reforming the immigration system in this country and bring people to this country that want to work and want to, and want to uh, fill the jobs in our economy. You know, we've closed the borders off, and that's not to our benefit at all. Well, not only have we closed the borders off, we're, we're taking kids away from families. Well, they just came from we're, that around the corner. We're putting, right. kids in, we're putting kids in cages and losing, losing them in the system. We call... You know, we're calling immigrants animals. We're 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 pointing fingers, and you know, it's uh, it's the us against them syndrome that Donald Trump is is peddling. And there are jobs that that need to be filled. There there are jobs, and the history of the United States is that we welcomed immigrants. We brought them in a system that made you got to. This system is broken. It doesn't make sense. We need to reform the system. But there is opportunities, and we just think a lot of times we think of immigrants as as servicing a certain sector of the economy. But the reality is that there are engineers and doctors and all kinds of people who want to come to the United States and service this economy, and we need them. 
But let me also say that, you know, there are a lot of people who may be doing okay in the economy, but there is a whole bunch of people that are not doing okay. When you couple together the uh, the uh, the college costs that young people are up against, the fact that they can't afford health insurance, uh, the fact that many of them are entering the workforce, not necessarily doing the jobs that they want to do, but doing the jobs that they you know, they not good jobs necessarily because they're not ending up with that. Uh, and you and you end up with a, uh, you know, with people uh, th- that are facing issues within the workplace where they're not equally paid and other things like that, something I worked on my whole life. There's a whole lot of people that aren't riding the wave here. And, you know, having represented workers for a long period of time, I can tell you there's a whole bunch of people that don't have the sense that they're doing well. And they're, they're right on the margin, and they're one paycheck away from, from big trouble, or they're one injury or one sickness away from bankruptcy. We're talking with Mark McKenzie here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com, where you can binge listen to your heart's content. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join the tour, celebrate life with the Birches. Call 224-9111. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live at nhtalkradio.com, where we're also archived, coming to you from our cloudy and slightly damp studios here high atop Concord's fabulous Main Street. We're talking with Mark McKenzie, a candidate for the United States Congress in the first CD in New Hampshire. That's, as I say, the right side of the state. I was a proud representative of the left side of the state. And we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living facility, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, Mark, uh, you were um, talking about the folks who uh, are living on the edge. And it seems to me that despite the good unemployment numbers, despite some good news about wages, we still have a 20th century economy and one that is skewed pretty heavily towards those at the top. The accumulation of wealth, the accumulation of benefits, the regressive tax policies that we have all favor um, those at the very top and and a very, very few of those at the very top, while the vast majority of people in this country are now working two jobs, maybe three jobs. They're having a tough time with health benefits. Uh, What the Republicans have done with Obamacare is going to soon make it even tougher uh, by getting rid of the individual mandate. Uh, The insurance companies are going to are are going to see fewer healthy people. That means they're going to start raising their premiums even more. Um, You know, so this has been a real uh, the Trump administration and the Republican rule has been a real disaster uh, for for working people. What do you think is the issue that is most on the minds of New Hampshire voters in this 2018 election? Is it 
Is it dump Trump? Is it let's get back to balance? Is it, uh, well, we're doing okay, um, uh, so, you know, so everything's okay? I mean, what are, what are people thinking about? What are, what are you hearing out there? Well, one thing that people are thinking about all the time is something, I, as I said, I worked on for years is health care. People want to get this issue of health care behind them because it dogs every single part of your life. If you don't have decent health care, then you can't get access to all of these terrific services that are available and the technologies that's available. And plus, people are going broke. The other thing they talk a lot about is income inequality. The idea that people are, um, that there is that there is this growth of, uh, of very rich people in this country, and the, the, the resources and the money, as you said, is being collected at the top and not necessarily shared. And again, it's reflected, that's reflected in a, in a policy that just, a uh, uh, tax policy just increases that. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of what we can do around those issues, around good tax policy. The other thing people are talking about a lot is the environment. You can't live in New Hampshire and uh, and not be concerned about the environment. It's a beautiful state, but the reality is that you know we're facing things. Uh, that talking about drilling off the coast of uh, of New Hampshire. They're talking about uh, um, you, you know blocking uh, good development and good jobs and wind and solar and other things in this uh, in this state. So people want to come together, and that's one of the things I've done my whole life. Bring people together, find solutions to these things. So begin the process of weaning off a of fossil fuel and move forward in an economy uh, that is fossil-free, but one that does not leave workers behind. So, and that's unfortunately what we end up with a lot of times. Kill this project, the environmentalists say kill a project, and the and the building trades and other people. Well, we just where's our work? You, you know, don't have it, the work. It, it has always it, it struck me when when I was when I was in Congress, and it strikes me now that the question of how we produce, uh, distribute, and use energy is, of course, directly related to the environment. I mean, we, you can't, you know, when you, and, and it's interesting, people sometimes use those terms interchangeably. They talk about the environment, they're really talking about energy policy, because energy policy these days is what the environment is about. When, when the Silent Spring was written by Rachel Carson years ago, and the EPA began um, people were not uh, as aware of the uh, perils of industrial development and greenhouse gases and global warming and climate change. They were more concerned about uh, the pollution, the direct pollution by by industry. And when we talked about the environment, we were talking about toxic rivers, toxic streams. The Merrimack River here in Concord was a mess. I mean, it was it was an environmental disaster, and it took years and years and years right. to clean it up. Now, of course, Trump and Pruitt are trying to turn that back as well and unleash toxic waste. Um, on 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 the nation in the in the apparent interest of corporate profit and greed, and we can't bad, continue that. We bad, can't continue to destroy the world bad, in which we live. Bad news. Now, there's an even, however, bigger and pressing, more pressing problem. As the Pentagon recognizes, the chief chief threat to our national security is global warming and climate change. Because what it means for us around the globe is displaced people, environmental disaster, uh, failures of crops, failures of water. Um, and all of that has the, a direct impact on our national security. And, and that is directly related to the way the world, um, both developing and underdeveloped nations, are using uh, fossil fuels, as you right. say. And so this process 
um, of moving gradually but deliberately and as quickly as we can to a world where renewable and sustainable energy with the technology we have is made available and, and, and ubiquitous and used is, makes the only, it makes common sense. So let me talk, talk to me about your, your approach to free markets. I mean, why, why, why won't the market take why, why does government need to, need to be involved? What's the role of government? Well, let me, before we go on to that, let me just mention there was one other thing that people talk a lot about in the campaign trail, which is the opiate crisis that we face and also the issue of weapons, uh, of guns. And, you know, in the case of uh, opiates, for instance, I've been, you know, I was a firefighter for a long time. I've seen the, I've seen the, the firefighters uh, are on the front line of the, the opiate firefighters are on the, 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 the amount of uh, calls that people are going on to is just, it, I, it's almost, um, uh, it's almost unbelievable that you could go from 12 or 13,000 to 25,000 calls in a place like Manchester, which means you're busy all the time. But that said, you know, I, I've said this. I think we have to increase the opportunity. We have to first define this as a crisis. This is a, a, a national crisis that we're in. This is a, a public health crisis that we're in. Sink money into, into give people the best opportunity they can have to get well. And then, and then the idea that, we, that, that the people who are manufacturing drugs and the doctors who are distributing and the companies do, should take some responsibility for this. I mean, you know, we have one of the richest CEOs in the United States who has been engaged with opiate drugs for a number of years. Uh, he comes up in summers here, the highest CEO in the United States, paid over the past 10 years. So the companies have some responsibility. You know, let's, let's get together and do that. And the other thing is the weapon, you know, the idea of guns. And, you know, I would never, you know, the Second Amendment is clear. You have the right to bear arms. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stick or try to take your guns away or, or anything like that. But we got to have a conversation. we got to have a conversation. Uh, and people who want to have safe schools and want to be safe and want their children to be safe and want their communities to be safe have a right to engage those people. Uh, who believe that the Second Amendment does not require them to have any kind of conversations whatsoever. So I just want to get those two, those two, those two things out. You know, as a firefighter, I saw the I saw firsthand what happens with weapons when they're in the wrong hands. I know it can happen. I've seen it over and over again. And we can do better as a country. And our kids should not go to school and be and and be afraid to be there. Parents worry every day of the week. So. Let's get together. Let's have start this conversation. And most importantly, let's get money out of politics because it's the NRA and other people like that who are flooding the market. Just tremendous uh, money. And you face that. The, the NRA is simply a trade association for gun manufacturers. Exactly. And they have done a brainwashing job on the American public. They have... Um, they're they're and you know I mean I'd like to go after them for a criminal conspiracy um, because they have peddled um, they have peddled death is what they have done and you know we have uh, in New Hampshire a strong uh, and uh, wonderful history of of hunting and, res and generally That's responsible right. gun ownership I mean in New Hampshire is not one of those places where. We have, uh, and I hope we never will, suffer one of these terrible, uh, terrible incidents. I mean, we've had, we've had our incidents over time, but nothing like what we've seen recently in our schools and in our 
offices and with other people. But there are um, too many guns in the United States overall, right? On the streets of this country, just too many guns. You know, look, it's a multifaceted problem. It's a, it's a social problem. It's a political problem. Um, it's, uh, a, a, it, it's, a, it's a, the way people think about things is a problem. And then there's a terrible thing happening, it's clear to me at any way, with our teenage boys um, who appear apparently are isolated alone um, and are turning to guns uh, for for revenge or vengeance against you know I mean there's, there's, we've got a we've got it's a multifaceted problem I as you say that. the conversation has to be very broad and it at, w- and and with opiates too let me just go back to this sure, question, question of, of energy sure. why isn't the energy crisis an opportunity to create jobs that propels a new middle class and makes America the biggest exporter of clean energy and clean energy jobs and products in the world. Why not? Well, uh, first of all, tell me, why not? I I absolutely agree. But the energy companies, you know, I'm in favor of carbon tax. I'm the idea that you basically take the incentive out of this thing and it gets increasingly more expensive to, to be involved in the fossil fuels. I think America wants this. I think America wants a clean energy economy. But again, if we could put a man on the moon, why can't right. we get uh, the energy issue under control with the sense of Money. entrepreneurial innovation? All it lacks for is leadership. That's right. And it and you got to get the money out of politics because you know, Paul, better than I do, that they, they have a tremendous influence. The so energy are, are companies, you, the pharmaceutical companies. Okay, well, let's speak about money. Are you going to be able to stand up to the Democratic leadership in Congress because with great respect for people I love and worked with, my perspective is that there is a lot of problems at the top of the Democratic Party and something needs to change there. So are you going to put Nancy Pelosi back in charge or are you going to be one of those people who says it's time for a change? Well, I think what I'm going to do right now is to try to get elected (laughs) to to Congress and not not take the next step about uh, uh, discussing Nancy Pelosi. I will say, though, that Nancy Pelosi... Uh, the history, she has helped a lot of Democrats, raised a lot of money. Uh, but I think, you know, my focus with Bernie Sanders was the Democratic Party is broke. And they don't have a message that they can sell. And if they don't have a message and they can't define it, uh, then they're not going to win elections. And I've gone to every state committee, uh, every uh, town committee, and I said, I tell you what, the next time I come back, I want you to have 26 words, your elevator speech, for what the Democratic Party stands for. And we'll see if they do it. We're talking with Mark McKenzie on Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com. Mark, thanks for joining us. Oh, this is great. And thanks for all your service, too, in the oh. Congress. You were terrific. No problem. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Folks, don't go away. We'll be back to wrap up in just a bit. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, Chris Ryan and I had a great time this week. We talked about 
women in the media. And by that I meant Roseanne Barr and her crazy racist tweets that got her fired from a high-grossing profit-making show and good thing too. And Samantha Bee, the outrageous comedian on Full Frontal who took on Ivanka, Ivanka Trump and went over the top, um, even by her own admission, calling Ivanka Trump a name which has been used to demean women for a long time. Samantha B got a lot of grief for it, but one's a comedian commenting on politics and the other is exposing the deep underbelly of racism that has no place in this country. And we had a great conversation with Mark McKenzie, a knowledgeable, skilled, experienced, passionate candidate for the United States Congress in the first CD. Mark was a longtime head of the AFL-CIO. He knows about working families, and he knows the issues that people care about in New Hampshire. We'll see how he does in the primary. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord. Thanks to our great sponsor. Thanks to all of you for listening. You can binge listen at nhtalkradio.com. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hogan.